This is the Fire Dog Podcast. The views and opinions presented on today's episode are those of the speaker and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Welcome, my name is Matt Wilson, here again with Ben Perry, and thank you for joining us on the Fire Dog Podcast for part two of episode 16 with the Air Force Fire Chief. In part two, we discuss diversity within the career field, changes to the civilian retirement coverage, and the long-term future of the Air Force Fire Service. Here with us again is Chief Jeff Wagner. Chief, I've heard you speak about diversity in the fire service before, uh, specifically when it comes to race and gender, and I know that our career field demographics don't necessarily match that of the United States. So w- what are we doing about that, or is there anything that we can do to cross that bridge or bridge that gap? Yeah, no, that's a that's a good question, and often it's a very uncomfortable question for folks. Um, as you look at, uh, this was one of the things that Chief Morris and I spent a good bit of time talking about when um, I was still relatively new in the job, and and uh, we got Chief uh, identified to come in. So we got to got an opportunity to sit and talk about what what are we interested in getting after as a career field because you know we've got both sides of the the coin here, so we've got the opportunity to go after some really cool stuff. So if you look at FES civilian military combined, um, as you move up in grade, we get more male and we get whiter. And, and those two simple truths, just based on demographic, tells me that there, there's something wrong with that. You know, I, I would argue that there's, uh, you know, very, very few females that have ever made it to a chief or a deputy seat. I, I would, I would challenge you that you, you probably can't name it. You know, there's, there's a couple, two or three hanging around. There's, there's some, you know, I think we've had one on the reserve side. We've had one or two on the, the uh, guard side as well. Um, active duty. I don't know that you can name a chief mass sergeant female. I can't. And, and certainly the, the historical brain trust that we've been kicking around uh, asking about this can't either. So that tells me that out of um, 86 active duty installations, 184 total force fire departments, um, statistically, we should have a couple females, right? Um, at least. So, so numbers in, in specific, um, the civil world runs about 10% uh, female now. So that's that number is getting better. Uh, it certainly doesn't match the community, you know, at large. But and that's outside is, the fence, Chief. You're talking about our, our municipal counterparts. Correct. Correct. Our municipal our municipal counterparts sit somewhere in the ten percent range, uh, depending on depending on department and depending on you know location and you know other demographics. But broadly across the U.S., they're coming close to ten percent. Uh, female. In the Air Force, FES, we sit less than 2%. So somewhere in the 1.8% female range. I think right now we have, as I recall, we've got four master sergeants and three tech sergeant females in FES. Um, If you look in that same range, GS10s, 10s and 11s on the civilian side, we've got one. So that tells me there's a problem, you know, so 
why aren't we promoting uh, females at the same rate as we do males, you know, or even a closer to our, our normed demographic. So some of the things are easy. You know, you can look at uh, the military is a male dominated industry. Are you saying that the situation is that FES isn't promoting women appropriately or that women just aren't coming in? Right. So I, th- I think it's both. I think it's both. If you look at the number of females we have at the lowest levels, vice the number of females we have at the highest level, those numbers don't match. And those proportions don't match anywhere close. So we get that that's a declining number of, of proportion, our overall total. So we are I don't think we are promoting at the same rate and, and we are certainly not onboarding at the same rate. So our numbers are getting better, but but they're not right. You know, we should be we should be pretty close to a reflection of our our civilian world, right? With our demographics. Um, you know, this is just talking about male female. These same concepts are true. You know, when you talk about race, our our classic uh, you know minority groups, we don't promote them at the same rate as as the white guys. So when you look at those two things combined, you know, it gets pretty disturbing when you look up uh, where we're at, uh, where we're at and how we're, how we're promoting leaders. So one of the things, one of the things we're doing to get after that is trying to scope the problem, right? I need to know what's wrong if I'm going to try and fix it. So we've asked for a survey to be built. Chief Morris has been all over that with uh, our contract support folks, uh, building an actual survey to say, what do you perceive as the problem? You know, so we can at least get after that part of it, right? Um, and start to scope uh, what we're looking at. Is it, you know, do, do we not have a, a gender problem, but we definitely have a race problem, or, you know, or vice versa, you know, or, or maybe both or none, you know, but we won't know that until we at least reach out to everybody. So that survey is going to be coming out to everybody here before too much longer. And I would encourage everybody to please take that because it doesn't, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to decide what that actually looks like if we, if we have a very small sample size. Chief, I just pulled up the Air Force demographic information and, you know, on the, on the municipal side, if we're, if we're talking a 10% female population in the fire service, you know, you obviously have around a 50% um, male, female ratio on the outside. What does that look like for us in the service? We have 20.9% women as according to this data sheet, I just pulled up off the Air Force portal. Does does 2% sound right under 20.9% female population if we're talking about demographics within the Air Force, though? And I don't want to split hairs over it. I think it's a low number, right, Right. Um, that we're, we're talking about. But I'm curious if it's real low or a little low, you know, like, is it a problem? Well, so, so that, I mean, that's a good question because, you know, that's some of the stuff that we're struggling with right now is trying to figure out, you know, how, how low is too low? What, you know, is, are we close? Are we close enough? Uh, You know, when you talk about uh, DOD being a male centric industry, FES 
is no less male dominated, right? It has been historically for, I don't know, ever, I guess. Um, so to find somebody that's willing to come in the military, right? And then further willing to come into FES on top of that is a, is a small, uh, small set of folks, you know, or at least so far it has been. So a part of that is how do we communicate that out? How do we, how do we onboard the right number of folks so that we get closer? You know, maybe 20% is the right number. Maybe 10% is the right number. Uh, you know, maybe 5% is the right number, you know, and, and all things are good and, and everybody's happy and there's, there's, you know, no problem in the world. I suspect though, that, that our numbers should be somewhere in the double digits. You know, we should be closer to that double digit number than, than we are. Um, and, and promoting, you know, that right set of people. And that probably starts with just a fairness, right? I mean, uh, gender and, and race and, and creed and all that aside, let's, you know, maybe examine the processes that we have in place and just, and make sure it's fair across the board. Um, right. Maybe it takes care of itself at that point. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, so maybe, I mean, you know, it's interesting with you, you know, <laughs> I love social media. So <laughs> I, I got to read uh, one string uh, on Facebook not long ago that, that asked, when was the first time you worked with a female firefighter? And, and to read the comments on there was just, you know, it's entertaining to a point, but then you start getting a little disappointed going, you know, you guys are Neanderthals. Some of you guys are just, you know, well, they can't, you know, they can't do the job and they couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. You know, come on. There, you know, there are dudes that can't do this job worth a damn, you know, and, and I, to be blunt, I could care less how someone uses the bathroom if they can do the job. If, if you do the job right, I don't care if you stand or sit. Um, Chief, these are certainly complicated. This is certainly a complicated issue. And something that requires, I think, a multivaried analysis. Uh, Absolutely. So, so by and large, the majority of men and the majority of women have different interests. Uh, when, when you talk about the United States population or even the world population, and so they attract differently to different jobs. And then women obviously bear children and have children. And so they make career choices early in their career to maybe get out and, and take care of children. And I'm not saying all women do that. Of course, I think it's something that requires a multi-varied analysis. And like you said, I think there are, there are, there are women out there that do the job better than some men. I know a lot of men, like you said, that, that, that don't do it so well either. So we need to take a look at those guys too. Sure. Are we hearing yeah. an outcry from, you know, a specific corner saying, you know, we are underrepresented or we are being, being treated unfair, or is this us kind of being introspective and trying to lean forward? So, yeah, so I think it's more introspection than anything. I mean, I think it's, you know, nobody's, nobody's put their hand up and said, you know, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not being treated fairly or I'm not being promoted. You know, that's, you know, that, that's not how firefighters are built typically anyways, you know, um, and, and that's no different across gender or race. Um, you know, we, we all may acknowledge somewhere in the process that there's some unfairness, but, but typically it's all internalized and, you know, you grind it out and, you know, go do work. Um, I think this is us looking at it to say, you know, is there a problem? If there is a problem, what's the problem and how do we fix it? You know, um, I'm under no illusion at all that this is something that can be fixed quickly. 
this is a you know this is a long term fix. This is something um, you know, kind of like the the PFOS or or you know EMS or you know some of these other things. These are these are things that are not going to come to fruition in my in my tenure. We're not going to get the next uh, or the first female chief master sergeant fire chief with only four master sergeants and three tech sergeants in the in the hopper. You know, right. it's one of them, right? Like, right. we're not, right. not going to show up out of nowhere. Right. And okay. you don't want to solve the problem with affirmative action or, or forcing people into positions. Right. Ba- based on based on demographic. Absolutely. But I want to make sure that, you know, when we're looking at. So so here's a here's an easy example. Right. Um, there's a, a seminar up in uh, Spokane every year, September ish, somewhere in that range. It's called Women in Fire. So it's based around female firefighters, right? So one of the one of the training tracks that they have up there that very much interests me is how to get around the physicality of firefighting with a with a physically lower uh, upper body strength. You know, just by and large, and not no judgment either direction. But you know, women tend to have a lower upper body upper body physical strength, right? So how do you get around drags and carries and, and, you know, raising ladders, things like that, knowing that you have a lower, you know, upper body strength, there's, there's techniques, right? You know, I mean, we got taught a lot of that stuff in, in tech school, but those techniques aren't necessarily designed to accommodate differences in physical strength, you know, so things like that, that, that are going on up there. You know, that's something that I want to bring some some of the instructors from the schoolhouse. You know, I would like for them to go up and see that. I want them to be able to teach those female candidates walking in the door, you know, different ways to get after this stuff or even male candidates that, you know, that don't have that giant upper body strength. Um, not everybody's built the same. man. And, you know, if it's as simple as, you know, finding alternate ways to, to get after this, you know, that allows you know, in our in our kind of running example here, a female that comes in, you know, through tech school learns a better, you know, a better technique there, you know, is then able to demonstrate that out in the department and catches less less grief from, you know, male counterparts and, you know, kind of rolls down the line and, and we slowly change the culture, you know, from from the, the Neanderthal views of, you know, oh, a girl can't possibly, you know, drag me out of a building, you know, that's well, bullshit. And I, and I think we have a, we have a group of women firefighters that have um, started kind of communicating as a whole across the enterprise, which is awesome that we've got that kind of crosstalk ability now. Do you know much about that? And maybe could speak to how one could reach out to them if they wanted to? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of a cool thing that, you know, I think has come, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of internal, internal mentoring that was happening beforehand. But uh, one of the things that just by asking those questions out to the field where, you know, Chief Morris has cherry picked, you know, all of the, the females above, I forget where the lines were drawn, but uh, military and civilian, those, senior group of females to send out those kind of questions to say, Hey, what, you know, what do you think, you know, and, and here's what we're kind of getting after. And that's kind of spurred a little more of a group conversation, um, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, allow that place to, to, you know, 
talk to somebody who looks like you, you know, that's important, you know, even when you talk about recruiting and, you know, to go off, off topic, you know, when we recruit, we want, um, you know, it, it's important that somebody looks like you, you know, if, if you're talking to a female in school saying, you know, Hey, I'm a firefighter, you know, no, well, I didn't know that we could do that, you know? Um, but that group is important because that gives us, that gives us a, uh, a venue, you know, to get some real feedback, you know? Well, that's where you get into your demographic, right? The whole, the kind of just bring the circle back around on it. You, you want to represent your community and you want to have someone who looks like you or sounds like you or, or is, um, is representative of you in some way to come out and be an example of what you could be. Right. That's absolutely right. You know, so, so all of these things are kind of linked a little bit together so that when you look at them holistically, you go, okay, you know, where do you, where do you dip into the, <laughs> dip into the stream of information to make the tweaks that, that work? Uh, this group is important, uh, the, you know, the team that's talking together, you know, and we're relying on them. You know, we want them to go up to that, that women in fire seminar. We want them to, to hear that stuff and pull back all of that information. You know, there's some smart people out in the municipal world that, you know, have already cracked some of these things. And we just need to, you know, open our eyes up and, you know, quit pretending we know everything and, you know, kind of reach out into the that world and, and get some of that yummy goodness out of there. Chief, moving on, I think uh, we'd like to kind of shift gears into the civilian sector for a second and talk about retirement. I hear there's some retirement coverage change in the works. Yes, sir. Yeah, there's uh so there's kind of a long-term effort that's been going on for better than a year now. Um, and looks like it's going to take probably another couple of years still yet uh, to get through where the air force has um, not with any malice intent or malicious intent, they have, been granting special retirement coverage uh, on civilian positions for years. Um, and the other services have been doing this as well. But I mean, this is a decades long problem. But uh, DOD recently has drawn a line to say, okay, you, you may not issue special retirement coverage. Uh, they are the only entity that can issue that coverage. Um, so what that did was that opened a door to say, okay, what positions are currently covered? So for, you know, so the civilians are, are probably very aware, but we have a, we have a very different system in FES for retirement than a normal GS employee, right? So we pay different percentages in, we have different timelines and, and our eligibility to retire and our mandatory retire date of 57 are all connected back into that special retirement coverage. So what DOD did was um, basically they rescinded coverage. Unless they have granted it, they said it is not valid. So that has potential to affect, I think we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,400 uh, GS firefighters. So there's the potential that there's a lot of folks affected by this. So we've gone through uh, and, and there's an entire group at AFPC that's working on this right now. Um, 
and they're pushing the the standard PDs, the SCPDs through right now, through the process to get uh, DOD coverage for them so that there's no negative impacts for firefighters, civilian firefighters. But the problem is uh, not just the current PD you're on, but you have to have maintained retirement coverage through your entire civilian career. So they have to look retroactively at every PD you have been working under over the years. So potentially, you know, myself, for example, I'm a victim of this very same thing. The the PD I'm under today is not a retirement covered PD. So there's a potential that I could also lose my retirement coverage along with everybody else. So I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen in 99.9% of any of the looks that they have. But you know, today the risk exists. Um, so the the AFPC team is going through, like I say, all the SCPDs first, and then they're going to take every one of the unique PDs that have been built over the years. Those have to be packaged and submitted to DOD to get retroactive coverage. Once those get that retroactive coverage, then you know, Jeff gets you know, okay, blessed, now you can stay under your SRC uh, retirement. So it's, it's, a, it's a very long-term thing that they're, part of it is uh, once they've got that coverage, they're doing a 100% walkthrough from the start of service all the way through to current date to make sure that everything has been coded correctly you know, they, they cherry pick out all of the accidents and mistakes that happen in our personnel stuff. Um, because our system is so unique, there, we tend to have a lot, of, um, a lot of mistakes in the personnel world because, you know, almost every employee that a staffer works with is going to be under a normal GS retirement. And then you have the oddball comes in you know, us, you know, us and cops and air traffic control are all under the same system. So they did this review with uh, air traffic controllers and they found dozens and dozens of mistakes. So they went back through, retroactively corrected them and, and got everybody sorted out right. So that's their intention as well. But I think it's probably going to be a two, maybe three year total process. So everybody is being honored with their retirement today. If the staffers look at it and say the expectation is that this is going to be a covered position um, so that they go through and, and say, we believe this is going to be something covered. So, um, so if you've got a retirement date set for next month, you don't necessarily have to worry about, you know, losing <laughs> it before that date or on that date. Um, Correct. Something's Correct. going to happen maybe in the future that could flip a switch if in the, like you said, very small chance that. You know, right. they change right. your PD that, or something. That somebody somebody was on a, a no kid wrong PD, and that there's no way we can work around it. Um, but that, but that's absolutely right. So everybody today is honored. Um, everybody is being allowed to retire as a firefighter today. They're not. Their intention is not to go backwards and, and pull everybody that's retired, you know, and say, "Ha, gotcha." You know, now you can't retire, or now your you know your pay is being cut, or any of those things. So they're taking that risk, you know, internal to AFPC saying, we will own this. Um, 
you know, for any bad things that are coming out. So they're, they're being very proactive about it and, and, you know, it's a ton of work, but, uh, you know, I'm glad they're doing it because a part of the result about out of this is going to be a guide on how to actually do staffing actions for firefighters, because that has not existed to this point. Uh, nothing definitive for those folks to work with so so that we don't have these kind of mistakes in the future. So we're, we're trying to correct everything and we're trying to make it better at the same time so we don't have problems going downstream. Chief, we've covered a lot today. Talked on EMS retirement and PFOS, PFOA. I've heard you talk a handful of times about the long-term future of FES. And when I say long-term, I mean 2050 long-term. Yes, I've, heard you, I've heard you mention FES 2050. Can you explain to our listeners what that means and maybe what we can do to help reach some of our future goals? Yeah, for sure. So that's, you know, that's an, that's, that's a troubling uh, topic for me, not, not because it's uh, not valid, but because it's very difficult to pull yourself out of the today and, and to put yourself into the, the tomorrow you know, to look down range. And, and really that's what Chief Morris and I sitting here at, uh, you know, the, the air staff level and, you know, Chief Matlock and, and Randolph and Lanning and, you know, all of the senior leaders on the FES panel, you know, that's, that's what we owe you guys. You know, we owe FES, you know, uh, a plan, right? Where are we, where are we headed together? So back in 2018, I think end of the year, um, I signed out a strategic plan for FES that was based on uh, feedback from the field to say, here's what we think the problems are, right? Here's where we think, you know, we suck at uh, whatever training tracking and, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you're, you're making firefighters jump from uh, tech school right into driver operator certifications and, you know, those things. So we've taken all that and we framed it into a strategic plan. Well, that's, that's awesome, but that only gets us so far, right? That's, that's a five-year look. Um, knowing that so many of the things that we're working on are long-term, uh, you know, they're 10, 15, 20-year culture changes, you know, that's, that's one of the things that's kind of driven us uh, to kind of back up a little bit further and, and to open the aperture up and say, you know, so 30 years from now, what should FES look like? Right. And it seems like it seems like a silly question. It seems like something very you know, arbitrary. But knowing the speed of the way things work for us, you know, I think it's probably a relevant timeline to start looking at, you know, in 2050. What should a firefighter sitting in my position, in your position, that, you know, what should that firefighter be looking at? It'll be a robot. <laughs> well, so, so, so you joke, but there's, artificial a lot, intelligence. there's a lot of SUAS systems out there, right? There's artificial intelligence. It's all over the place. You know, now I'm not, I'm not advocating at all. That, you heard you it know, here first, guys. Yeah, right, uh, we're, gonna, right, we're all going to be robots. Go. There you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm not advocating that we're going to be replaced or, or, you know, that any of those things are going to be wild, you know, uh, or the world's kind of stuff. But, you know, where can we use uh, unmanned systems? You know, can we use them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we can use them. 
You know, what about what about wildland firefighting? You know, we can map a fire line in real time back to the incident commander for the entire fire line. I can do that in real time. I can't do that today without that kind of technology. So how do I get that? You know, do we need that in the Air Force? Do we need that in the DOD? Um, can we ride off the back of the uh, the runway repair systems that are that are now looking at using those unmanned systems? Can I take that system, tweak it a little bit, and use it for urban search and rescue? You can know? we reset fire alarms with drones? Is what you're saying? Uh, you know, uh, why not? <laughs> you know, can can we can you evaluate can you fairly evaluate a system from where you're sitting? You know. I, I would argue today we're probably not far from that with some technology changes. You know, that doesn't that doesn't replace walking through a building. That doesn't replace the smells, the you know, the the you know, wisps of smoke, the burnt out ballasts, you know, things like that that cause it, you know. But it is a reasonable expectation to be able to ping a system and go, is it really a fire alarm or is it just, you know, a BS trouble round that's, you know, firing off something? Um, you know, and, and some of the alarm panel systems, you know, for those that are, you know, the electronics nerds, um, you know, some of those things are absolutely stunning what they can do, you know, and the, and the information that they can send you, uh, some of the alarm systems will work together in a network between themselves. So if one system goes down, if a, if a line goes down, they can bounce around and just kind of work around the system. So there's some really cool stuff out there, but broadly, um, you know, I, I, my challenge to everybody is, is, you know, what should we look like? Well, and it's not um, just about tech, right? It's, it's manpower and yeah, but, resources, <laughs> and, you know, how much money are we going to need and all this other stuff that Absolutely. goes into it. Absolutely. Okay. The world we work in is money driven, right? So how do we present force downrange? You know, do we do that right today? You know, or or so here's here's a here's a fun challenge, and Chief Morris is going to kick me in the shin for this one. Um, the Army has very very few military firefighters, right? I think it's somewhere in a couple hundred, somewhere in that range. Um, they use those for that expeditionary front end, and then they just contract behind it. Do they have it right, or do we have it right? Well, there's certainly continuity with contractors and civilians. And so that's well, definitely a positive. Right. So, yeah. you know, so, so I've, I, you know, so I would challenge, you know, maybe, maybe we present force differently when we go down range. You know, when we go, when you go into Bagram, the level of service is based on an in-garrison uh, requirement, right? You know, so you get the same level of coverage at Bagram as you do when you drive into or fly into Maxwell. Right. So we're, we're basing that on an in-garrison uh, expectation. So so I would argue, do we care about that downrange? Is that level of expectation the same? You know, should we have 13,000 gallons of water sitting at Bagram? You know, maybe, you know, Bagram, Bagram's probably an unfair example because it's been, you know, we've been posted up there for, you know, what, 15 years, 16, 18 years, something like that. Um, you know, so maybe maybe that's less of an expeditionary location and more of a, you know, a, a fixed forward location. So, uh, you know. I think the buzzword is enduring. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 
But, but you know, I mean, it goes to the larger question, though, of how do we present force? You know, is, is a, a UHP set up on the back of a six by six gator the right answer at a FOB? You know, instead of pushing a P-19, you know, out to one of those locations, you know, can you do it with a, a herd of, you know, a little herd of <laughs> gators riding around? So yeah. how do we determine all this this far out? I mean, are we using, you know, computational analysis or are we just kind of pulling, you know, eight ball out? How, how What's the methodology <laughs> of figuring out what we're going to look like in 30 years? Well, so, so that's, a, I mean, that's a good question. And that's what the challenge is. So when, you know, none of these ideas, so ultra high pressure as a technology took 10 years to roll out from the time we said go to the time it was rolling out on all our fire trucks, it was 10 years. You know, at a point, that was the good idea fairy. That was somebody saying, hey, you know, what if we, we try it this way? You know, look at this technology, try this, and, and then we go through the steps to get down the road to, you know, we, we talk about it, and we have the good ideas, and then we have to back that up with the, the no kidding, you know, the computational stuff, the the, you know, do your homework, you know, uh, how many deployments do we need? How many deployers do we need to match the deployments that we're fielding today? And, you know, doing all of the an analytics behind that, you know, but at a point it has to start with looking, you know, blank paper to say, how should this look? Um, that's one of the things that we've, we've strived for with the EMS program, you know, not being constrained by what exists today, but more appropriately, what should this look like? When, when all the dust settles with EMS, what should EMS look like in the Air Force? You know, I don't care what the rules are today. I don't care what the AFIs say. And that's completely arbitrary to me, you know, in, insofar as we can shape that, right? We can make that what we need it to be. So the start of it, you know, sometimes really is, you know, just a good idea. You know, or, or, you know, in my case, sometimes a sketchy idea where you go, hey, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and Chief Morris gets to, you know, smack me on the back of the head and tell me, no, that's not a good idea. And here's why. Well, yeah. to make progress, there, there needs to be failure. That's sure. inevitable. Yeah. Sure. So is there anything on paper that describes or outlines a, t a 2050 plan? So, so not yet. Uh, but it's on the radar. It's on. It's something on my list, on my very short list of things that I want to get after this year is to to truly frame around that, and and what is the expectation? Because, um, you know, if if we just kick it around as a, a topic on the podcast, it's going to last. You know, and, and assuming anybody listens to me, you know, drone on for a while, you know, they may hear it. They may, you know, they may not. Uh, but we have to codify it. We have to put it in, you know, put it down on paper and, and actually, you know, execute it, get after it. Now, this so, isn't a new process, right, of, of kind of thinking 30 years down the road. Like we, you know, in theory, in 1990, someone was sitting around doing this about 2020. So, yeah, so that's interesting. So I don't know if we've done this in FES, you know, not like this, maybe, um, you know, I'm. The, the optimist in me thinks that, you know, everybody that's been that, that's ever driven the ship for uh, FES has had that long range view, you know, and I would argue that that many of uh, many of them, you know, absolutely have. 
you know, there, there's something that they're looking downstream to go, this is what I want to get after 20 years from now or 30 years from now. Um, but I don't know. I'd, I've not seen anything written down that says, hey, here's, here's what we think. But if you zoom out a little bit, the DOD does this all the time, right? We do, we do a 30-year plan. We do a 30-year vision. Here's where we should be working towards 30 years from now. Five years is easy. You know, we can get after that, you know, I'm, I'm close to two years into this, into this uh, job already. So, you know, I'm damn near halfway there. You know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's easy. You know? Yeah. How do we compete with our adversaries in the future? I, I've, I heard Elon Musk talk about unpiloted aircraft and that's the big future. Right. The pilots are going to be obsolete. Right. Eventually, so, according to him, of course. Yeah. So there, there's a couple things. So I, I got to talk to, uh, uh, Chief King up at Wright Pat, and you know, of course, that's the center of all the crazy research that happens in the Air Force. All the weird stuff is up there, um, aliens included. I'm pretty sure, but um, they have a an exoskeleton system that he got to play around with. That's basically a set of legs that straps to your legs. He was able to lift up the back end of a helicopter, you know, squat the thing with with these legs on, you know. And, and they make an upper body set too. So, you know, okay, well, that's kind of cool. You know, so we handed that actually, you know, I threw that idea over to the EOD guys and said, hey, check this out, man. <laughs> you know, are you guys aware that this is going on up there? You know, you talk we, may, about- we may not be around by 2050 if we start creating these. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, or, or maybe, you know, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, if, if you're trying to hump hose up, you know, a four story building, you know, and all the garbage that you got to bring up with you and the hotel packs and, you know, your forcible entry and, you're, you know, bringing all that stuff up. You put an exoskeleton on one of these 18 year old kids and I don't care how what kind of muscle structure he's got. He can he can pump it all up. Chief, just as long as we can get more than 60 seconds for turnout times. Nope. <laughs> Denied. That kid, that kid gets to walk around the station wearing the exoskeleton all the time. I'm sure he would love that. Right. Well, Chief, it's been great talking to you today. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share with our audience today? Uh, man, it's the list is long. I've got, you know, so I did the same thing that, that probably, I don't know, every firefighter has done over the years. You know, when I got this job, I, I it, days. I was writing in my my uh, day runner about, you know, all the things that I thought were stupid in FES and, you know, all the things I complained about sitting in the smoke pit for years. You know, oh, well, we're never going to do that. You know, well, why do we do this? This is stupid, you know. So I've got a, a giant laundry list of things that, you know, that I've wanted to get after. Um, you know, and right now sitting behind Chief Morris and I um, at the office, we've got three four by six whiteboards full of projects and, and things to look after and things to, to start picking at. So yeah, there's a ton of things, but for, for the podcast, for the sake of time, no, <laughs> uh, you know, I think you guys are doing an absolutely amazing job. Um, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think, you know, I think we talked the other day and I said, you know, part of what makes this uh, valid you know, and, and relevant to all the folks that are listening to it is the fact that we've got nothing to do with it. You know, Chief Morris and I are not the ones directing that this happened. We're, you know, we are simply the recipients of the good idea, you know, and, and the work that you guys are putting into this to, to make sure that the folks out in the field have 
more information today than we did coming up through the ranks. You know, it's amazing what you can put your hands on today that, that, you know, didn't exist 10 years ago, you know, and, and just sitting back and listening, you know, leading up to this, I've been following you guys, you know, but I, I skimmed through your podcast again and I'm listening to it going, man, this would, I can't imagine being a, a, you know, 20 year old firefighter just coming in, you know, dumb, dumb young Jeff, you know, 30 years ago, damn near. You know, and having this kind of information to reach into and go, oh, yeah, okay, you know, that's why we're doing this, or that's, you know, don't do that. That was a bad idea, or you know, that kind of stuff is just it's powerful. So, so I appreciate what you guys are doing, and uh, you know, things like this feed that 2050 vision for you know for what what I think we should be doing. You know, this this kind of stuff opens those conversations up. You know, 30 years ago, that you know. We didn't have that kind of medium. We'd have a newsletter that'd go out, you know, every quarter, and you know, the the folks at FCSA would, you know, bang out some good information, you know, and, and it was all legit stuff. But there, you know, that real time interaction just didn't exist. So yeah, you know, maybe half the people get it, or half the people read it. Right, right. I, I certainly didn't. You know, I mean, I was completely oblivious to what was going on in FES, and especially at the lower end of the hierarchy. Well, and probably, you know, not everyone's listening to this clearly. But if we do a kind of a multifaceted attack, you know, newsletter, email, podcast, different ways, different people learn in different ways. So, sure, we're just we hope to be one of those. Yep, you guys are an awesome part of it. Yeah, appreciate the support. Uh, this wouldn't be able to happen without you and Chief Morris giving the nod either. It'd be easy to shoot something like this down and. uh you know, hopefully you weren't too nervous that, that we were talking kind of an open forum about this <laughs> stuff, but uh, yeah, not at all. We've been trying to watch it, so we've been uh, so we appreciate the support. Um, yeah, and, the, and these episodes are archived too, so they'll, like you said, they'll be here for as long as the podcasts is, are, are relevant or around. Um, right. They'll be they'll be here for years to come. So, so yeah, people three, can reach three or four years we made too. Absolutely, three or four years from now when when EMS you know, maybe doesn't happen. And, you know, somebody's going to reach back and go, but you said, you know, <laughs> and here's the quote. <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, we appreciate your time. All right, fellas. I appreciate everything you're doing. And, and thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to part two of this episode of the Fire Dog Podcast. You can find more content just like this regularly posted to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the fire dog podcast. That's facebook.com forward slash the fire DAWG podcast. You can also now find us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends and coworkers. This is host Matt Wilson with co-host Ben Perry and guest chief Jeff Wagner. Until next time, stay safe.